Welcome to the 131st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In April 2013, the Land Stewardship Project helped launch an effort to raise public awareness about violations of farm worker rights on industrial livestock farms in Minnesota. The Minnesota Farm Worker Justice Campaign is a joint effort of LSP, Central Capesino, and the Latino Economic Development Center. This campaign is an effort to not only draw attention to abuses on farms and to help document farm worker rights violations, but to point out that when a farm gets away with mistreating workers, it puts operations that are following the rules at a severe disadvantage, while giving an entire rural community a black eye. In a state like Minnesota, the violation of farm worker rights, particularly when the workers are new immigrants, remains by and large a hidden problem as far as the general public is concerned. Such violations can be the result of ignorance or arrogance on the part of employers, or a combination of the two. The groups involved with this campaign are also calling on the University of Minnesota and U of M Extension to dramatically increase their educational and research activities in the area of farm labor, as reports of wage theft and other abuses increase. After all, like many land-grant universities, the U of M has played a key role in promoting the development of the kind of large-scale industrial farms that often rely on large numbers of low-wage workers. It's time the U of M took responsibility as a public research and outreach institution and helped alleviate the problem of farm worker abuse. After a recent event launching the Minnesota Farm Worker Justice Campaign, I talked to some of the people involved with this campaign about why this issue is so important. First, LSB organizer Doug Nopar described a particular incident he was aware of in southeast Minnesota that involved a farmer and a worker. He also summarized what the campaign would like to see done by the University of Minnesota and U of M Extension to help address this problem, and why this is so important for improving the quality of life in our communities. A number of years ago, I was contacted by an advocate who was working with a farm worker who had had his wages docked for backing into a barn door with a skid loader. He was... $1,000 over a course of several months was deducted from his wages, and he wondered if that was lawful, and it is not. And I called his employer up, and I said, um, you know, I heard this happen to one of your workers. You know, that's against the law. You can't do that. And the owner said, you know, I can do anything I want. If that was my son that backed into that door, I'd deduct $1,000 from his wages, too. I can treat my any, my workers any way I want. I've got my own personnel policy, he said. In fact, if somebody doesn't work for me for six months, I keep their last paycheck. It just spoke to sort of the arrogance that some of these uh, large-scale farmers have, that they, they feel they're really above the law. So it's a real problem. And the three initial things that we're looking for with this uh, Minnesota Farm Worker Justice Campaign, for, things we're looking for from the university are, one, for them to expand and improve their education of livestock farm owners who are employers. We want those employers knowing what the labor rights rules are. Secondly, we want the university, through their Latino financial literacy program where they're already working with rural Latinos. We want them informing those Latino workers of their worker rights. So those are two requests for extension. And then from the university, from the colleges, we want them to work real closely with Central Campesino and the Latino Economic Development Center to actually do some research to document the extent 
of labor violations, labor worker worker labor incidences that are out there. So we've got a better handle on just how common these problems are. Yeah, I mean, you know, when a farm is able to take advantage of its workforce, it operates at a lower cost, and so that puts other farms at a competitive disadvantage. Secondly, it makes wages around the whole area, depresses wages for all workers in the community. If a, if a large farm is able to get away with paying people less, that hurts people's wages in the whole area. And it also sets up a system where people don't trust one another. Workers don't trust their employers, and so they are suspicious. You know, and it makes some immigrants more suspicious of long-time residents, and it's just not a healthy situation. LSP and you have been kind of talk, starting to talk to, frankly, white rural residents a little bit about what kind of community do you want? Do you want to have one where there's a lot of mistrust and walls are built up, or do you want to have something different? I think that's an important piece to kind of show people that um, this is to your benefit to have to address these issues a little bit, and it's not just, oh, we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts for these poor laborers type of thing. Yeah, we're not really approaching this from a do-gooder approach. I mean, we need to look at this from self-interest. What kind of community do we want? Do we want to foster a community where immigrant children are able to get an education, move on to college, feel comfortable in the community enough to open a business, there's a lot of incredible uh, attributes that the Latino community have in terms of entrepreneurial skills, uh, vocational skills, civic participation, that if we can build trust between Anglos and Latinos in, rural, in the rural Midwest, there's a lot of advantages for, for white people, you know, and so that's something we're, we, we want, as we're talking with our longtime largely white members at LSP were kind of trying to look at this from both a historical perspective about how we came to this country as immigrants, how that's similar for today's immigrants, and what benefits there are for us in having a more egalitarian, respectful world. Next, rural southeast Minnesota resident Barb Nelson talked about how a local quote-unquote model farm was recently found guilty of wage theft and how that reflects poorly on other farms in the community. Well, personally, we were really surprised when one of the um, one of the dairy farms in our area held in really high regard by actually corporate agriculture and uh, Chamber of Commerce especially um, had chosen them to be um, family farm, not actually family farm of the year, but chose them to have the family night on the farm. And uh, people tend to think these are really terrific farmers, must be doing everything right. And then it came out that they were uh, wage thefting their employees, uh, probably both Anglo and Hispanic workers, um, and actually fought it for five years before uh, they were forced to pay um, $85,000 fine. The whole neighborhood, the whole town was really, really surprised about it. Well, we've discussed it. I, I'm sure eight out of ten farmers treat their their um, employees right, but um, the ones who don't uh, put a black mark on all of them and uh, are unfairly making more money, essentially making more money and uh, by avoiding paying the wages. I then talked to Ernesto Viles Bustos, the executive director of Central Campesino. Centro, which is based in Owatonna, Minnesota, works with farm workers throughout the region. 
and Ernesto says wage theft is a particularly vexing problem in the area. One of the one of the main cases, or one of the most prominent situations that we see, is definitely the um, the situation where workers are not getting paid either the last week or you know if they work for three days or four days um, at different different farms or different places. For us, it looks like you know that's kind of like um, a very um, active and very common practice within within this uh, industry. Another one that is probably one of the uh, probably say probably top two is definitely the workers' compensation piece. We definitely see a, a lot of stories where workers are being or they get injured or they get some kind of uh, accident or even sometimes illnesses uh, while working in certain farms. Whether you know it goes from interacting directly with some kind of um, toxic chemical, uh, some type of dust. We have heard, for example, workers that do um, in farms of chickens or turkey where they're walking, you know, where there's thousands of thousands of animals and there's all this dust and they don't have the, the right gear. Um, we see a lot of people being injured at dairy farms, whether, you know, being kicked by a cow, being charged by the animals, or sometimes just they weren't given, for example, the proper uh, boots uh, to walk around the, the facility, and sometimes they slip and fall, and, you know, that's on, on, on them, not really on the employees. And with this goes, you know, uh, attached to it, it goes that that uh, practice where, you know, people are being injured, not only are they not being taken care of uh, by, by the employers, but also are required or threatened to come back to work. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be losing their jobs. So I think definitely the issue is bigger than what we hear, bigger than what we see, mostly because um, we know that a lot of these farms are very rural. They're very, you know, uh, secluded in a way. Uh, farm workers in these places have schedules that run, you know, from 6 in the morning to 7 in the afternoon. Places like Central Campesino, Land Storage Project, or LADC, uh, if they contact us at that time of the hour, we'll probably you know, have to listen to voicemail the next day. And so, you know, a lot of these cases that are coming forward with, with um, this collaboration of organizations is because it's those people who already kind of have the knowledge of who we are, what we do, and that they feel comfortable enough to come forward and say, you know, this is what had happened, this is my situation. And I would actually say that that's a very, very small percentage of the workers who are, you know, daily uh, being affected by these issues. I think it would surprise people that... Um in a, when people think about these issues, they say, well, that's something that maybe occurs in the border states, in California, Texas, or whatever. But it's a, it's a pretty, it sounds like it's a growing and a big, big issue in a state like Minnesota. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the, actually just the, the, the concept of a farm worker has this kind of, um, I don't want to say stigma, but it has almost, you know, a very specific image that has been perpetuated by either the market or the growers or, you know, the system itself, where the first thing we think about, you know, farm workers is either strawberry fields or orange groves. And so for Minnesota, a lot of people say, you know, well, I didn't know there were farm workers in Minnesota. And that's the, that's kind of our, and, you know, part of our battle is there too, you know, to try to dismantling that belief that farm workers have to be on the field. You know, a lot of the farm workers that we're dealing, given, you know, provided the weather that we have here, you know, are going to be sometimes in farms that they'll have handle cattle or, you know, chicken, turkey, some other stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the violations, the type of abuses that we see are, you know, to the same extreme or to the same level that we will find in places like Florida and California. 
So it sounds like we're in a situation right now where we need more reporting of that uh, of these violations, and then we on the other side we need uh, more education of the uh, employers themselves about what they should and should not be doing, and you know what the, the rights that these people have because it seems like one of the situations is. The workers themselves sometimes think they don't have these rights because maybe they're undocumented or whatever. Yeah, definitely the status is one of the one of the barriers that we have in terms of really pushing these these issues a little bit uh, further. And definitely, you know, the the barriers that the employers put up for us uh, creates a different environment of how you know these issues need to be addressed. One thing that I think it's important to understand is that you know. A lot of these violations that are happening and that we see, you know, these incidents uh, that need to be reported more often, that need to be documented in a different way. Also, there are, you know, those type of situations that they're not too complicated to understand that, you know, this is something wrong. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of common sense and a lot of just, you know, everyday values and ethics would apply, you know, I think that anyone would agree that if you work for someone for a day, you should get paid for your day's work. Lisa Sassargoza teaches a University of Minnesota class called Migrant Farm Workers, Family, Work, and Advocacy. She and her students participated in the campaign launch, and Lisa talked about how when people discuss reforming the food system, worker rights are often overlooked. So it is true that oftentimes uh, when you're when we're talking about our food system, rarely do farm worker issues come up as come up at all, much less as, as something that we really need to be paying attention to. And and as I, uh, the more I talk about this and the more I do this, oftentimes I feel like it's almost as though people as consumers of food were being duped. We go to the store, we go whether it's to the larger grocery stores or to the co-ops, but we still really don't understand where our food came from, how it was harvested, how it got there. And the fact that about 85% of our fruits and vegetables pass through the, hand, through the hands of farm workers. So uh, oftentimes very few people realize and understand the depths to which farm worker rights are, are A, they are limited themselves, and that, that those rights that they do have are oftentimes either ignored or blatantly uh, discounted or blatantly, you know, they're not held up in any way, shape, or form. And so the health situation of migrant farmers, average, average uh, lifespan of a person in the United States is 77. Um, average farm worker lifespan is 49, for example. Um, the average income of a, fi- of a farm worker is 11, uh, about $11,000. We can go on and on in terms of education and all these things. And so that piece is so crucial, I think, to under to being part of a food system that is healthy and that is productive and that is dignified. And it is the food system that I think so many of us want. There's some people who intentionally know about it and really want and work towards that. And there's oftentimes just a lot of people who don't know. And, and I believe, like you were saying, would be aghast at the situation that folks would know. So the challenge then, of course, is to A, educate folks, and then B, to try to inspire action. Because once you know, then what do you do with that information? Well, I would think you might be in a a pretty good position to almost test out how this education to action process could work with students. Yes, absolutely. The first time that I taught this class, uh, migrant farm workers, the students at the end of the class said, well, what do we do now? And I said, well, what do you want to do now? And so they started a group called FAN, Farm Worker Action Network. And for about six years, it was really quite active at the University of Minnesota. This was in the 90s. 
there was a, a fair amount of, there's a lot of organizing on campus at the time. The Great Boycott was still going on, so the students got, the, this community action group got the university to stop um, serving grapes, for example. There was also Pekun, uh, farm workers out in Oregon, were doing a national campaign against the Veggie Garden Burger, and it took about two and a half years, but they eventually got the university to switch over to a different, and to honor that boycott and switch over to a different Veggie Burger. It is really um, an amazing opportunity and an amazing I'm just honored to be able to be in that situation where not only do students, because of their work, uh, the way we set up, the, the way I set up the classes, the students get connected to issues that are going on every single year. So the syllabus, the the way the class runs changes every year according to what's happening. And they get sort of real, not only real life experiences, but oftentimes there's tr truly a desire to continue working with it. And I was just talking to one of the students who's here tonight, for example, who said, you know, I know that we're doing this for a class, and I know the class ends at the end of the semester, but I really do, do want to stay involved, and I really want to figure out how to do that. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity. Sometimes it works for folks, and sometimes it doesn't to continue on. But I do think that oftentimes I've had, I've had students come back and say, call me and say, I'm, I just had someone earlier this year uh, that she's organizing workers um, down in Louisiana, for example, and she said, I, I was going to go to vet school, and I decided to do this instead because of, of the class, and thank you so much. And so it, it's also great for me to be able to work then with former students as colleagues in organizing, and that's happened through the years as well, which is, a, which is, which is great. Yeah, I think the challenge is, it's both challenge and opportunity, is for those folks who are involved in the food movement who to, to deepen that understanding and to have a, a vision which includes labor as a key piece to it, and for those who are involved more in the labor issues or maybe in some Latino-centric issues, to look to the food movement and to do that in a way where we're where all those issues are connected and interconnected in the intimate way that they are because too often times we get siloed. And so um, certainly for me when I think about farm worker rights uh, and thinking about the notion of framing that within the concept of producing and, and demanding a food system which is truly based on dignity and truly based on justice along the full chains of production, then indeed it can bring those two together. Um, and so in it, in it erases some of those silos. One of the things that I know that seems like it complicates the issue even more is this all gets rolled into the issue of immigration. You know, we talked about the, the immigration reform issue tonight. I guess, how do you see it? Is it something that makes it harder to bring about the change we want? Sure, I think it's a it's both a challenge and an opportunity, as most challenges are. I think there certainly is an assumption that there's a lot of folks who are in this country um, who are don't do not have papers and there certainly are folks who don't have papers and that number is more than it was say 15 or 20 years ago who are working in this industry at least in Minnesota the demographics in Minnesota have changed significantly um, what I think at the core level of again going back to uh, a lack of information lack of understanding within workers as well as within the larger public and within employers is that many of the basic labor laws do not switch or do not change or are not impacted by one person's status. And so there's an assumption that, oh, if you don't have papers, if you're here without documents, then you don't have any rights. And while those rights indeed are curtailed in some ways, some of the very basic labor laws indeed um, apply to everybody. That is important information, not only just important information, but an important information that needs to, that needs to guide behaviors. 
that's a, a challenge and an opportunity in itself, certainly. And it also allows us to have a bigger discussion about who are we talking about of what is our who who lives where we live who are the people who produce our food and if a person works they should get paid for that and it doesn't diminish the dignity of the work and it doesn't diminish the the respect that it, that needs to be paid for work to people for working the work that they do so challenges and opportunities i, I also have seen because of the the um because of the demographic shift that we've had I was recently at a Farm Bureau presentation at the University of Minnesota in the College of Agriculture, or in CFANS. This person, a very young woman who is now in charge of the policies, she was a policy analyst, or I can't remember exactly her title, and she brought forth the position of the Farm Bureau, which was in support of which is in support of immigration reform. Now. She was also supportive of an, an, an enlarged guest worker program and other things that I <laughs> that I think w- there's a better way we can do things. But the fact that she was making a presentation to all white students who are all rural farm, stu- far, you know, agricultural students, that I wouldn't I wouldn't have seen five and ten years ago. And so the demographics themselves are demanding a change. And so how we do that? Those some of those transitions are going to be a little bit more gracefully and less gracefully. But I think that um, it's it's incumbent on us to certainly do our best and and bring our best selves forward in all different arenas of this. For more information on LSP's work related to farm worker rights and racial justice, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and check out the Racial Justice page under the About Us section. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.